Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Brennan, PGA professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf in the volunteer state. We will cover men's and women's golf tournaments, professional and amateur events, and dive into junior golf as well. We will talk to the players, the instructors, and the organizers. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. Keep sending those questions in at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. So here we are winding down October. Temperatures are starting to change. Time change coming up soon. So golfing season in Tennessee will start to slow down, but we've got a lot of excitement on the books this week. Coming to us first, played this past week, October 15th through the 18th, at PGA Golf Club in Port St. Lucie was the 2020 Senior PGA Professional Championship. This is all our club pros age 50 and up um, throughout the United States uh, play in their local sectional qualifiers um, in advance. And every facility or every section gets so many qualifiers. Uh, Tennessee had seven actually teed up in play, which was uh, an amazing number. Now you'll get areas like the Met section, which is New York. They may have 10 or 15. So again, it's all based on the number of players in the tournament itself. But 264 players teed it up. Now, what is at stake here? The end game is the top 35 and ties will play in advance to the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship, playing alongside all your greats. We might even see Mickelson at that event. Um, but again, uh, way it's played is four rounds. After the first two, it cuts to the top 90 in ties. After three rounds, it cuts to the top 70 in ties. So we had seven guys teed up. Uh, we had Jared Melson from Tim's Ford, friend of the show. Audie Johnson, Ted's Road Golf Course uh, here in the Nashville area. Jake Reeves at Fox Den in the Knoxville area. Walt Chapman, Fairways and Greens in the Knoxville area. Henrik Simonson, uh, the Honors Course in the uh, Chattanooga, Ottawa area. Bill Breen from Harpeth Valley Golf Center um, here in the Nashville area. And Buddy Harston at Vanderbilt Legends Club again here in the Nashville area. So our seven guys are teed up after round one. Jared had shot even. Um, Audie had shot one under. Jake was two, one over. Walt Chapman was one under. Henrik was three under. Bill Breen even. And Buddy Harrison shooting three over. Moving into round two. Jared shoots another score of even par to be even after two days. Uh, Audie shoots a three under to get it to four under. Uh, Jake Reese struggles a little bit shooting four over. Uh, Walt Chapman gets it going, shoots six under on the second day to be seven under for the tournament. Henrik shoots another three under to shoot six. 
Bill Brain shoots two under to get it to two, and Buddy struggled a little bit missing the cut. Now, Jake and Buddy were the only two guys that missed the cut of the seven um, that teed it up. So five versus seven made the cut. The cut to the top 90 was three over. So some tough conditions down there in Port St. Lucie. So moving on to round three. Jared struggled just a little bit, shooting five over, getting it five over for the tournament. Audie had a little bit of a tough round at one over getting it to three under. Walt shoots one over, tough to follow up those low rounds, Walt, but finishes at six under after two days. Um, Henrik shoots another even par, or shoots even par to finish at six under. Uh, Bill Breen struggles just a little bit, shooting five over, getting to three over. Now, three over made the cut after round two. Um, or I'm sorry, three over made the cut after round two. Moving into round three, five over. So all five... That made the cut, made the second cut, moving into the final round. Jared has a one-over round, shooting six-over, tying for 53rd. Audie, little bit of struggle that day, shooting seven-over, shooting four-over for the tournament, uh, tied for 39th. Walt Chapman shoots two-under, eight-under for the tournament, tying for fifth place. Great job there, Walt. Um, Henrik. Struggled just a little bit second or fourth day shooting six overs, even for the tournament, but tying for 22nd. And Bill Breen shoots another three over, six over for the tournament, tied for 53rd. So we had of the seven guys that tee it up, we had five of them finish inside the top 70 and two advanced. Congratulations to Walt Chapman and Henrik Simonson. Um, eight under and even par. Great job there, guys. Um, hope to see y'all play really well at, at the Rite Aid coming up. Next, we're going into something a little bit more dear to my heart. Um, if you heard the Hello World uh, episode one, and again, it was just kind of a teaser to show you what we were about, I covered the Tennessee-Georgia Cup matches as one of my intros. Um, and, and again, the reason it's near and dear to my heart is I played on, this, on the Cup team four times. Um, was very fortunate to get to play and alternate with these guys. Uh, what it is is Tennessee and Georgia, uh, the uh, top assistants on the players list every year. Now, it's the top 10 in points and then two captain's picks. Um, so a total of 12 teams will tee it, or 12 players from each team will tee it up. Um, this year it was contested at Berkeley Hills uh, in Duluth, Georgia. This was played on the 19th and the 20th this week. It's fun. We get together, we get to hanging out with some of the guys. Um, it, just speaking from my experience, um, PJ Tour pros like Chris Blanks was actually on the cup team when I was playing. So, again, um, another guy that beat my brains in. But Chris was a super great guy, still stood out there on the PJ and Corn Ferry Tour playing. Um, but it's just, it's a group of guys to get together and play. Now, throughout the year, there are all types of fundraisers and the host team. Um, alternating Georgia-Tennessee, Georgia-Tennessee as, as far as who's hosting, and the host team picks the charity of their choice. Uh, I, I know the uh, Atlanta Brand, uh, Children's Brain Cancer uh, Center has been there, um, several Le Bonner, St. Jude um, hospitals throughout Tennessee have been the sponsor as well. So again, it's a good cause, but a lot of fun. Um, so our 12 players, uh, Ryan Botts from Old Hickory Country Club, uh, Garrett Campbell from the Honors Course, James Chapman for Iguani Farms, Alex Cox from the Golf Club of Tennessee, Chase Harris from Spring Creek Ranch, Michael Hutcherson from Jackson Country Club, Todd Medling from Spring Creek Ranch, Marshall Talkington from Jackson National Golf Club, 
Mike Vance from Jackson National Golf Club, Chad Walker from Vanderbilt Legends Club, Chris Wheelant from 12 Stones, and Lee Whitehead from Fox Den were our team to compete. So uh, it is contested over two days. The first day, normally a Sunday, uh, you will play a four ball, then follow that up with a foursomes match. Four ball is just two guys on the team. You take the lowest score, compare it to the other guy's lowest score, and win the holes match play. Uh, the foursomes, uh, now this is modified alternate or uh, alternate shot, actually. Uh, so players will choose odd or even. So if we're on the Tennessee team, me and my partner will choose who's going to hit off the odd or the even holes, and they will hit the tee shots, and then you will alternate shots until the ball is holed. Winner of the hole with the lowest score, again, match play. So after day one, or after the first round, which was the four ball, um, Cox and Campbell wins one up, and Vance and Hutcherson wins one up. So a little bit of a struggle there out the gate. Georgia takes a lead four to two after the four ball match. Moving into the foursomes again, which is the alternate shot, uh, Medling and Harris win two up, Cox and Chapman win three and two, Whitehead, Hutcherson tie. So Tennessee pulling off two and a half points in that, Georgia pulling three and a half. So after the first day, Tennessee is down seven and a half to four and a half. So got to make it up in the singles. Um, moving into the singles play, um, Harris wins two and one. Wheelant wins one up, Talkington wins three and two, Campbell ties, Cox wins three and two, Vance ties. Tennessee wins five of the 12, Georgia wins seven, overall cup, Georgia wins 14 and a half to nine and a half, and that split the tie. Going into the event, through the 25 times it had been contested, it was 11, 11, and three, so Georgia now has a one up record on Tennessee um, over the 25 years that this has been contested. Hopefully I'll get some of the guys from the teams um, back in. We'll get them on the on the interviews and see if we can get some insight of what happened there. So now we're jumping into the listener questions. Um, and as much as I want to talk about Tennessee golf, we had some things happen and the listeners are asking, so I've done some research this week. Thank you guys. I actually got to watch a lot of golf for this. So the first one comes from Mark, um, asking about, you know, Mickelson on the Champions Tour with his second win. So, yeah, Mickelson's been out there now uh, two times. He has two wins. Um, and Mark's question is, why is Mickelson having great success on the Champions Tour? And, Mark, it, it kind of leads to a couple of different things here. Um, number one, Mickelson probably has arguably one of the best short games on the PGA Tour. Um, we all know his magnificent flop shots and things like that and not i think i've spoken about this on the show before but i can remember at tucson uh when he was still an amateur when he hit the backward shot he then became a uh did a lot of articles for golf digest explained how he hit the shot i used to hit balls where he'd skip it off the water with clubs and i used to emulate and do a lot of the things that he did um so mickelson's short game really helps him um as we know looking at his career on the pj tour He's not a very accurate driver of the golf ball, but he has increased dramatically in distance over the last three or four years. And so now when you move from the PJ Tour to the Championship Tour, the golf course gets a little bit shorter. Um, so now Mickelson's carrying his longer shots out there, and he's able to have shorter wedges and irons into the greens. And that's definitely going to help him a lot. Uh, we're also noticing as he's playing on these Championship Tour events, because of the length of the golf courses, he's hitting more 
three woods, um, and driving irons off the tee, which is helping him improve his accuracy. Um, so I think Mickelson's going to be a, a test out there. Uh, I know Langard has been the guy to beat on tour on the Champions Tour for a long time. I think Mickelson will give him a run for his money, um, depending on how much he wants to stay out there and play. I know he's kind of going back and forth um, as he's looked at his schedule. Um, he As he's turned 50 this year, he's now eligible to play in some of these events. So he still wants to compete against the young guys, uh, still wants to play in majors. So we'll kind of see how that plays out. But again, the biggest thing, the takeaway there, Mark, is he's hitting it a lot further um, and his short game's a lot better. So as long as you keep him up on those shorter golf courses, you're going to see him take some low, low scores. Um, it was actually kind of fun to see the uh, all-lefty pairing on Sunday. Um, consider Mike Weir is the one who put one of Mickelson's jackets on him or put Mickelson's jacket on him. Um for his masters so again getting to see those two reliving some old times and then just an all lefty uh final which is rarely something we see out there but mark great question about mickelson all right this one comes in from tony um and this would be a great time to talk about in april for the easter egg hunt but it was not it's october so i guess it's more of a candy hut but if you missed it um, the par four number 11 this week, Brooks Kepka tried to drive the hole. It came up just short of the green, but over the bunker. The rough was severe. There were nine people searching for the golf ball. Now, Brooks Kepka, Roy McIlroy, and Kevin Na were the threesome. Their caddies and then three more volunteers or PJ Marshalls came out. Um, under the rule change, you now went from five minutes to three minutes um, to look for the golf ball. The guys were getting down on their hands and knees, climbing in the bunker, brushing through the grass, um, and the ball was found. Now, what had happened in this situation, um, and Tony's asking, how was he able to take the drop? So, lar large buildup to that. So, in this situation, Brooks's ball flew into this wet roughed area and the ball embedded now the rule states embedded ball is a ball embedded in its own pitch mark so his golf ball had enough velocity to embed into the ground because of this he was allowed at no penalty free relief drop he was able then to get up and down and make his birdie on the hole uh, if they had not found the golf ball inside the three minute he would have had to go back to the tee it would have been a lost ball stroke and distance penalty we've been hitting his third shot so again awesome awesome job the guys all joked and laughed and that they, they talked about it being an easter egg hunt uh finding his golf ball but brooks making it fun making it interesting uh and making birdie but great one to bring me in that tony i got to watch a lot of video time on that one now Again, this one was all questions from the viewers, so here we go again. So Josh comes in and says he's watching Chris Como's Swing Exhibition, uh, Expedition. And it was an episode from, I believe it was season two, I had to go back and look at it. But it was about Xander Shoffley and his putting. Um, and how Xander has a different swing coach than he does a putting coach. Well, it, Josh, what happens here in this case... Um, Xander Shoffley's dad is actually a PJ professional. Um, he worked on his swing a lot. Uh, it was a great episode to, to watch. I had not seen that one, so thanks for bringing that one up. Um, but it talked about as he was early on, he would Xander's dad would drop him and then 
not watch the tournaments, not to put any pressure on him. Uh, they even tell a story of Xander winning the tournament, and somebody had to call Xander's mom to come pick him up. He's sitting there on the curb with his trophy, and, and there's no parent there to pick him up afterwards. Um, but now Xander's dad's there helping him with the swing all the time. But he employs a different putting coach, Derek Ida. And Derek is a is a PGA professional, teaching professional, but he really works on the putting and studied it a lot. Um, and what was really great to see is he actually uses the cameras and the, and the video and, the, and they look at a lot of things along with training aids. Um, and, and Josh was asking, you know, is it common for PJ Tour to have multiple coaches? And the answer to that is yes. Um, we've seen this for years where you've got one guy as a swing coach and one's their short game coach, a putting coach, sports psychologist, things like that. So the guys are always real help looking for help in areas and leaning on the best to get these answers. Um, but what I took best from this, Josh, um, and I, again, it wasn't even the question. You were just asking about the putting coach. Um, but what Derek did is they really focused on three things, um, and that's really all a putting comes down to. Um, I know I've talked about putting a lot in, in the past, but you have guys. Um, Steve Stricker has a very straight back, straight through stroke. You have a lot of guys that have more of an arc rotation. Um, you'll have even Billy Mayfair had to slightly outside to slightly across it. Um, or even inside down the line that Butch Harmon has um, sold training aids on over the years. So the key things to putting, um, and it's not the stroke. And again, I, I work on stroke as far as perfecting, but it's not consistent. There's there's some fundamentals that can be fixed there. But the importance of it is can you start it on your intended line? Is the putter face close to square at impact? And you can go back and listen to the show about the biomech and all the, the sensors that we use to actually talk about um, where the face is, I'm not going to bore you with that, but starting it online, and that's the ruler drill that my buddy uh, Matt Walters put out there as a challenge earlier in the year that I talked about, but just practicing, can you start it on the line you want, um, and the, one of the drills that they use for Xander um, to work on his alignment is actually take a 2 by 4 and, and put it on the ground, it was an 8 foot 2 by 4 and on the putting green, now again, get permission to do this, I'm not telling anybody to do this, I don't want to get in trouble with any superintendents, but on their putting greens at Derek's course, they would take a Sharpie and draw lines on opposite ends of the 2 of the 2x4. So you would have parallel rower tracks, except he would only mark a 3-inch line at the beginning and the end of the 8-foot 2x4. So when you remove the 2x4, you had a set of lines 8 feet apart that were parallel to each other. And the goal here was to be able to make sure your putter face was square to the one 8 feet away. And making sure that you see it. Now, in this video, Xander talked quite a bit how he does struggle with his alignment. And there are days that one line looks good and the other line doesn't look good, but he knows the lines are parallel. So it's just kind of a way for him to help reprogram his thing. And so that's one of the first things they worked on so much and talked about was line. Um, then the next thing they talked about for line uh, is they use a little uh, putting triangle. And so it's a... Dave Peltz makes one called the Tudor that Mickelson's used for years, but it's just a triangular board that points in the direction of the hole. And so Xander would line up, and then Derek would move the ball and put the put the board square to the putter and then step away, and they'd see where it was lined up to where they thought it to. So they were working on line with that. Now using those two, then they started to discuss speed and read. So one of the drills that they did, because he can putt off the board as well as using it as an alignment, 
is he would set up the board on a breaking putt, and in the case that they showed, it was a slight left to right, and it was about an 8 to 10 footer. Um, and he had three tees uh, to the left of the hole, and the three tees were the high line, the low line, and the middle. And so the way you look at it is if you can visualize the cup is four and a quarter inches wide. So rolling on a straight putt, you have a, a little over four inches of area that a golf ball can roll in and drop. So it's not just one perfect line. You have a, basically a four inch wide path that the golf ball can fall in depending on the speed. And so in this case, he set up the tees where they were about two or three inches apart. Uh, and he had it lined up at the center tee. If he hit it a little soft, it would break a little bit more. If he hit a little bit firm, it would hold that line. But again, he kind of had it as long as he could start it down that line. So he started working on his speed and his read um, after working on the line. And that's what we work with our uh, my students a lot on. Um, it's just really being able to where you lined up, where are you rolling it compared to where you're lining up, and then using that information that helps us get into the green reading side of it. So, Josh, great episode. Thank you for asking about um, Derek and the putting side of it. But the bigger take there was actually uh, the line, the speed, and the read, which are the key three key elements um, to putting. So we got the Zozo coming up this week over at Sherwood, where Tiger used to have his hero challenge. Um, he's won a couple of times there, so we'll kind of see how that plays out. I'll always remember uh, Zach Johnson actually beating him in the playoff by holding out for par. Uh, after knocking the second in the water to force the playoff. But again, a lot of great golf coming up this week, so everybody watch that. November's right around the corner, and this year, November means the Masters. We're headed down to Augusta to see some things. So everybody keep tuning in for that. But this is Paul Brandon with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can find us on your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, TuneIn. You can keep sending your questions in to me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. You can also follow us and find all our other podcast uh, sports, gaming, anything you want on the Believe Network. So Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. So check out a couple of those other podcasts. I know I tend to listen to some of the other guys to see how much better they sound talking than I do. But anyway, good luck. Get out and play some. Weather's still in the 80s. We're still enjoying it before time change. Talk to y'all next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.